0: Some people claim to have a very high pain threshold. They claim to be able to cope with amazing levels of suffering that would floor others. But I'm not one of those people. In fact, some of you probably know that uh, I have a bit of a tendency to keel over, to faint in pain. On our honeymoon that was many years ago in the dim and distant past I we had hired a motorbike or a motorbike each and I fell off. And I jumped up immediately, tried to move the bike off the middle of the road where it was in a ju- busy junction. But then things kind of went white and, and kind of fuzzy. And the next thing I remember was waking up in some kind of clinic somewhere in this, in this town, eh, getting my eh, leg patched up while Lorna was sitting by the side of the road where, where I'd left her. Not really the best thing to do with your new wife at all. And I don't think I've got any better over the years. Uh, a few years ago, we used to have church in Daphne View, in a community centre there. And I was just stacking some chairs. And I just caught my finger in between the chairs and the, the counter. Some of you might even remember this. And again, just it was, it was just my finger. It was ridiculous. And yet, everything just started to go fuzzy. And the sound tried to dull. And the, the colour drained from my face. And somebody said, I think you better go and sit down somewhere. Okay, So, that's me. Now, in my defence... I just blame my genes. I just think it's the way that I'm made up. Uh, A few years ago, my my oldest brother went to give blood. And I don't know if you've ever given blood. You get your thumb prick, first of all. I think it's to check your, your blood type and stuff like that. He got his thumb prick and he fainted. So they gave him a nice cup of tea, thanked him very much for his blood and told him never to come back again. So, I'm not a fan of pain. I don't like it and I don't handle it very well. And I don't like watching it in other people either. I I really don't get why anybody would want to watch boxing or the the MMA, which is even more brutal. I don't get that at all. It just kind of gets me right in the pit of my stomach and makes me feel sick. But this morning, we're going to look at what Peter wrote to Christians who were really suffering. They were getting beaten up. They were getting attacked. They were being oppressed. And I also know that I'm speaking to people this morning, who many of you who have also gone through intense times of suffering in your life, whether it's physical or emotional or psychological. So I don't want to give you the impression that I think that's no big deal. Or that I think that I could handle it no problem. So this is not me standing up here saying pain isn't a big deal. But at the same time, I really don't want us to miss the amazing challenge and encouragement of what this passage teaches us about how to follow Christ in times of suffering. So let's read it and let's see what we can learn from it and be challenged by it and encouraged by it from what Peter writes to us. So it's 1 Peter, chapter 2, and we're going to start from verse 18 down to the end of the chapter. 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 18. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The last time we looked at this letter, Peter was calling us to respect and honour everyone out of our respect for God. Respect everyone because you respect God. And we talked about how throughout the rest of this letter, Peter described what this should look like in different relationships in our lives. So last time we focused on our relationship with our government and our human authorities and we read submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men but here Peter is focusing on a relationship that is really quite unusual for us but would be all too common for, the, uh, for Peter's first audience because in this passage Peter is first and foremost talking to Christians in the church who were slaves Now, in the Roman Empire, slavery was commonplace. As many as one in three people in Italy were slaves. And one in five in the rest of the Roman Empire were in slavery. And they served in a whole range of variety of roles, but they were also seen as the the lowest class of people. No rights, no legal status. Now, clearly, slavery is wrong. It is morally wrong. It's evil. It's horrible. It's terrible. These people should not have been treated as the property of other people. They were experiencing what Peter calls here the pain of unjust suffering. Their suffering was unjust. They were being beaten. They were being mistreated. Even although they had done nothing to deserve it. And sadly, of course, today there are still millions of people in slavery in this world. But thankfully, none of us are. None of us are in that exact same situation in slavery and suffering unjustly in captivity. And yet, we too suffer as a result of the unjust actions of other people. In fact, Paul wrote... That everybody, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. it 's a promise that Jesus that Paul gives. Whatever our situation, whatever our circumstances, if we're going to live out our faith in Christ, then we will experience unjust and undeserved suffering. This might come from our family. Or from our neighbours. Or from our bosses. Or from our colleagues. Or from a whole range of other sources. But the reality is, all of us in our lives are going to sometimes be treated unfairly and wrongly. So what did Peter say to the slaves in that situation that we can learn from today in these tough times? Well, first of all. I think Peter was teaching them that that they shouldn't be shocked by it. Don't be shocked by the suffering. Because unjust suffering is part of our calling. Do you see this in verse 21? When Peter says, To this, to this suffering, you were called. This suffering is part of God's plan for our lives. This is part of his will for his people. A few weeks ago, we were rejoicing that Peter could write about us that you were a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. It's an amazing passage, a really exciting passage to read. That we are God's elect. That we are a community of people who, by who by grace have been set apart from this world. And they'll be called by God to belong to Him. To live with Him. And to worship Him now and forever. In His glorious presence. What an amazing truth to get excited about today. But before... We can experience the fullness of that glory. We are called to suffer for a time. Why is that? Well, Peter says this. That's because Christ suffered for you. Leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Following Jesus doesn't just mean trusting in His salvation or obeying His teaching or walking in His holiness or ministering in His love and power. It also means entering into His suffering. Now, this, of course, doesn't mean that we should, each one of us, are going to die on a cross to pay for sins like He did. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That was a a once and for all. And never to be repeated sacrifice for our sins. So none of us are going to do that. Or add to that. Or complete that. Or anything else. That is a done deal. But Jesus' suffering on the cross in a very real sense was unjust. Because he was suffering as a guilty person, even although he was completely innocent. That's what Peter says in verse 22. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. This is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 53. That great prophecy written about 700 years before Jesus all about the suffering of Christ the suffering servant it emphasizes so many aspects of Christ's suffering especially that it was undeserved and unmerited if you've never read through that chapter please go home this afternoon or this evening and have a read down through it we'll pick up a couple of things from that chapter uh, this morning but have a read right throughout it for yourself So, if Jesus suffered so undeservedly and so unjustly, then as followers of Jesus, we are called to walk in His ways. In an equally sinful and God-hating world. And that will inevitably, inevitably bring suffering into our lives. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 15. Verse 19, if you belong to the world, it would love you as it's own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So when our circumstances are really tough, and I know many of you have gone through really tough circumstances. And when people unjustly attack us or unfairly accuse us or unlovingly reject us, then we as Christians shouldn't be surprised. We should not be shocked because Jesus promised it was going to happen. In this world, you will have It's part of what it means to follow Jesus in this world. So first of all, don't be shocked when it happens. But secondly, even although we will be attacked, we shouldn't be provoked to retaliate against those who attack us. Peter did not want these slaves to rise up against their masters. He didn't want them to say, no, I'm not going to work anymore. Instead he told them this, verse 18, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect. In the same way that he told us to submit to the, the government and to the human authorities, as long as their commands don't go against God's commands, Peter told these slaves to submit to their masters to accept their role in their lives and to seek to live it out in obedience and service. And they were to do this irrespective of what their masters were like. Verse 18 again, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. Whatever these people do, whatever they are like, However unjust they are, Peter wanted these slaves to submit to them, to respect them, to obey them, to serve them. Now, not surprisingly, many people today are offended by this kind of teaching in the Bible. They think that Peter should have spoken more about the evils of slavery. Called for the destruction of the institution of slavery. Or even called these Christians, these slaves, to rise up in revolt against their masters. But Peter would know that if these slaves did that, then this wouldn't have helped them. All slave rebellions, and there were were many in the Roman Empire times, they were crushed brutally by the Roman Empire. So to call these slaves to do something as foolish and dangerous and futile as that would not have been a loving thing to do. And so instead of fighting against the suffering and those who caused it, Peter called these Christians to patiently and quietly endure it. Verse 19 For it's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he's conscious of God. It's commendable if somebody bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. Why? Well, because that's following in the footsteps of Jesus. Because that's what Jesus did when he was so brutally and wrongly and unjustly accused and attacked. So verse 23, Peter develops that. He says, When they hurled their insults at him, at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered... He made no threats. Standing before the Sanhedrin, Jesus patiently endured all of their unfounded accusations. He did not refute their lies. He did not condemn them for their sin. Then later, when he was ridiculed, and then flogged, and then nailed to the cross by these Roman soldiers, he did not defend himself. He did not fight back even though with a word he could have stopped it all. Instead he remained completely silent. Going back to Isaiah 53, verse 7 says this, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open mouth. Now, we need to be clear about this. Jesus did not stand silently and allow these evil people to do all of this because he was weak or because he was afraid. Rather, it was because Jesus was confident in God's full and righteous judgment. Look at verse 23 again. He didn't open his mouth. He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus knew that this was not the end of the story. When he was standing in front of the Sanhedrin, when he was being so brutally and cruelly treated, he knew that that was not the end. That was not the final moment. He knew that it was a day of coming. A day coming. A day of judgment. When God's wrath When his rightful judgment will be revealed. On that day, everybody outside of Christ will receive exactly what they deserve. On that day, all wrongs will be righted. And so Jesus did not need to fight his cause in that moment, he did not need to defend his reputation. He did not need to demand justice now. And said he could leave all of that in his father's hands. And in his father's perfect timing. And so that's what these slaves could do. Yes, they were being treated really badly. They were being beaten unjustly. But they didn't need to try and take matters into their own hands. Instead, they could quietly and patiently endure it. Because they could wait for God's justice. Confident that God would sort it out one day. And he would sort it out perfectly. And in these kind of situations, I believe we're called to do the same. Romans chapter 12, verse 19. This is what Paul writes. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. So when we are being attacked unjustly, when we're being accused wrongly, when people are rejecting us for nothing that we've done wrong, we do not need to be provoked into anger or into bitterness or into retaliation we can patiently endure because we can leave justice in our father's hands and that's an amazing gift but it's not the whole story because Jesus didn't only patiently endure the suffering because he was confident of his father's justice he also submitted to it because he was committed to his Father's will. In the Garden of Gethsemane, this is what Jesus said, Yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus submitted to his Father's will. And this is so crucially important, isn't it? Because it was through that suffering of Christ that God was going to rescue you and I. Jesus' suffering was unjust, but it wasn't meaningless or purposeless. It wasn't empty. Instead, Jesus' suffering had purpose and it had power. Back to verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, So that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By His wounds, we are healed. By submitting to His Father's will and enduring the cross, taking upon Himself our sin and the punishment that we deserve, we have been saved. So when we trust in Him, our sins are forgiven our condemnation is removed our death sentence is lifted and we are set free from the power of sin so that we can live with God and for God and so again quoting Isaiah 53 Peter said that through Christ's wounds we are healed this is Isaiah 53 verse 5 he was pierced for our transgressions. Another word for our sin. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds we are healed. And as we said before, although Christ's suffering is unique and never going to be repeated, God still works. Through the lives of his people. Through suffering. In many different ways. Peter has already hinted at the fact that suffering purifies our hearts. It's like putting us uh, through the crucible where gold is refined. It also deepens our faith. It also develops our relationship with God. But crucially, our suffering is also a powerful witness to this world. As people are impacted by how God's people suffer. As one of the early church fathers said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The church has grown in many ways through the suffering of his people. And we see that in the world today, don't we? Look at where the church is growing in amazing ways. And you often find that's where it's suffering. China, Iran, two places where it's where the church is expanding at an amazing rate. And it's where the church is suffering. So we don't need to be discouraged by our suffering. Because our suffering is not meaningless. It is not purposeless. Instead, God has promised that He is working through it. Now we may not always see how God is working through it. I'm not saying that if you come up to me and you ask, well, how does God work through this? I'll be able to give you an answer. Often the answer is, I don't know, but He has promised He is. He has promised He is. So Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Our light and momentary troubles That is relative to what heaven is like. It's not saying he didn't go through hard times. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. God is working through our suffering to bring glory ultimately to him, but also for our good. And so although these slaves couldn't be released from their captivity... Peter encouraged them that they could serve God in their captivity, in their suffering. Verse 20, if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. If they refuse to retaliate, and instead patiently endured the suffering, choosing to submit to and respect their masters, and if they did this because they were conscious of God, because they were seeking to follow God's will for their life, and obey Him in in His plan and His will for their lives, then this would honour God. This would please God. So they, instead of being discouraged by their suffering, they could have the privilege of worshipping God through their suffering and witnessing to the world through it. God was going to take what was something that was evil and wrong and he was going to turn it around and he was going to redeem it and he was going to use it for good and for his glory. And that's how Peter looked on his own suffering. It's good to remind ourselves that Peter isn't writing this as somebody who had an easy life. Or who everything was going on easy and and perfect. Peter was was one of those apostles who, who suffered. So for example, when he and the apostles were flogged by the Sanhedrin. In Acts chapter 5 verse 41 it says this. The apostles left the Sanhedrin. Rejoicing. Rejoicing that because they were had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, for the name of Jesus. They were honored to follow the Lord and to serve him in suffering. And that's the way that God wants to transform our lives. Yes, sometimes God just intervenes and rescues us out of that suffering. But not always. He doesn't always step in to change our circumstances. He doesn't always immediately act to correct all of the injustices in this world. Or to fix our family. Or to change our boss. Or to give us a better job. Or to whatever. But he does want to work to change our hearts as we live in those circumstances so that no matter what we're doing no matter where we are no matter what is happening to us we are able to honour and serve our God through submitting to His will for our lives even when it involves things like mundane service or patient endurance or unjust suffering I don't know how you respond to all of this this morning I don't know what you think of all of this but maybe like me you struggle with this maybe like me you're not a fan of pain or suffering maybe you would love for this, these kind of bits of the bible just to be removed and it all just to be rainbows and flowers and nice things it feels too daunting too difficult Just don't feel able for this challenge of following Jesus into these difficult times in our lives. But Peter finished this passage with an amazing encouragement. That we don't need to be overwhelmed by this challenge. We don't need to be defeated by suffering. Because we can follow Jesus into suffering Because he goes with us into that. Did you notice the last verse in our passage? Verse 25. For you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Again, this is from Isaiah 53. We are like sheep who have gone astray. We've all messed up our lives by going our own way. But Jesus has come as our good shepherd. Not only to lay down his life to pay for our sins. But also to come into our lives to provide us the guidance and the protection and the provision and the power that we need. And so in those difficult times when we're suffering unjustly when we feel like we can't go on when we feel that the challenge is just far too great we can rest in this wonderful truth that the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not be one. Yes, we might go through incredible difficult times in our lives But this has changed dramatically, not by changing the circumstances, but by changing the fact of who goes with us. When we're going through those times, Jesus is with us, and he'll never leave us, and he'll never forsake us. So, not many of us are fans of pain. Not many of us eagerly look forward to suffering. But we don't need to be surprised by it, because we're called to follow Jesus into it. We don't need to be provoked by it, because we can trust God to deal with it in his perfect time. We don't need to be discouraged by it, because God is working through it. And we don't need to be defeated by it, because Jesus walks with us.